In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. It's time for closing arguments on Georgia's campaign trail. We don't need to go find someone to beat Stacey Abrams. I'm sitting next to the guy who already beat Stacey Abrams. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Belustein, one of your hosts, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. And Patricia, I know both of us have been wandering the campaign trail, roaming around the state. I am here in Savannah at this very moment, ready for a big economic development announcement that Governor Kemp will make on Friday. Um, in the outskirts of Savannah. And Patricia, you've been everywhere, including a lot of traffic. Yes, I actually missed a campaign event because I spent so much time in Atlanta traffic. That was a low moment for me this week. Uh, But I was out in Covington earlier today with David Perdue. And what I'm looking forward to this week is a Bikers for Trump event uh, for David Perdue. Marjorie Taylor Greene will be there. I think it's going to be really one of those moments that's hard to forget. So we are out hitting the campaign trail hard, catching not just David Perdue, Brian Kemp, but also Stacey Abrams, also Raphael Warnock, also um, some of the down ticket contenders, also some of our Senate contenders as well. So it's been very, very, very busy. And and producer Jay Black, uh, I know at least one of the places you were, you were at my house where you might have scared my eight-year-old daughter the other day as you were dropping off some equipment for this podcast. Does this put me in the uh, who's down section for the week? <laughs> Yes, uh, poor, uh, poor, uh, poor little uh, Greg's daughter uh, got a glimpse of me and uh, it. So I apologize to you. <laughs> and you were apparently terrifying. We hadn't warned poor Brookie that um, that we would have a visitor, and I was at a softball game. My wife was on a little walk right down the right down the street, um, and Brooke uh, called and said. I think a bad guy just came to our door. <laughs> I ran upstairs and screamed. <laughs> oh, Brooke, if only you knew, Brooke. <laughs> you know, it was funny. A few minutes earlier, um, not that long earlier, uh, two door knockers um, knocked on my door um, asking if I wanted to do a survey for one of the political parties. And I kindly said, no, I will not be doing a survey. I'm a political reporter. And they like, you know, they were like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. And they politely went to the next door. But we are in that campaign season right now where you might get some, maybe not Jay Black, but you might get some interesting visitors at your doors. Oh, I can um, show up too if you want. Jay can show up too and, and try to sell you on this podcast. Um, and a reminder, if you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You'll never miss an episode if you do that. You can also write us a really good review. Um, we got one the other day that talked about how I, I like to say me and you instead of you and I. So Patricia, I got to work on my grammar. 
We can count on our listeners to tell us what's wrong with us. <laughs> so that's that's one. Coming up later, we're going to talk about what David Perdue is saying about Mike Pence's upcoming visit to Georgia. But first, Governor Kemp is trying to keep the energy and momentum going in the final days leading up to the Tuesday primary. Um, just a few days ago, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie campaigned for Kemp at a rally in downtown Alpharetta. He was also up in Canton at a brewery. I was there with him. I asked Christie about why he's so confident in Governor Kemp's chances. I don't think this was unpredictable. You know, you look at this man, you look at his record, you look what he's done for the people of this state. The people of this state are smart. And there is no reason to be changing horses in midstream here. This is a guy who took this state through some of the toughest moments the state has had in the last 50 years. And he's done it well. And so they're going to reward him. Patricia, all things are looking very rosy for the governor right now. Purdue hasn't stopped campaigning, but he certainly scaled back his events. He has he's off TV, uh, and there's no pretending that that he's you know he's, he's he's anything but a long shot right now. Yeah, and it feels that way out on the trail. I saw him at an event um, earlier in Covington. There were about a dozen supporters there. It's a really weird time to get people to go. It's eight forty-five on a Thursday morning. So that's not, you're not going to get huge crowds at that time. But it kind of had the feeling of we're doing this um, because we need to. It felt like an underdog campaign. It felt like um, it had not caught on the way it needed to, to change the dynamic, to really unseat an incumbent governor, which is so hard to do in Georgia. It's just an uphill climb. It's why it hasn't happened in more than a century, uh, kind of an inter-party primary against an incumbent. And um, this is why, because it's a really hard, heavy lift. And by the end of this campaign, you can just feel that that energy has not developed. It is not this overwhelming groundswell. Um, There's not the money. There aren't the events. There aren't the supporters. He has some supporters, um, but it's not, it doesn't feel like enough. And his message does not feel like um, it is catching on. He's actually retooled it a little bit. He has put the election claims more at the back and now other claims more at the front saying that Brian Kemp has sold out Georgians, that Brian Kemp um, is not responsive to Georgians, that he hasn't worked hard enough um, and a number of sort of hyper local issues to demonstrate corruption um, or some kind of some form of that allegation. But it just isn't, um, you can feel them still working on it and it just feels like um, time and money are not on his side right now. You know, that's really interesting because for so long in the campaign, David Perdue has led with the elections rigged. He's led with Donald Trump. He's led with lies about widespread election fraud. He has certainly talked about other issues like his proposal to eliminate the state's income tax and his opposition to the Rivian plants and his support for Bucket Cityhood and all these these other um, issues that we've talked about. Um, but Trump has been front and center. And so it's fascinating to hear you um, say uh, this about produce a sort of shifting strategy. Uh, and you actually uh, got some great audio from him about what his new message to voters is. I have respect for Mike Pence as vice president um, and a human being. Um, but this is what happened in 14. I ran against a guy who's now a good friend of mine, Jack Kingston. He had 500 elected official endorsements. I was running against three sitting U.S. congressmen who had been there for like 60 years. And uh, I had the chain, U.S. Chamber of Commerce spending money and big money against me in the primary, just like now the Republican Governors Association spent several million dollars against us in the primary. This is incumbency circling the wagons to protect an incumbent governor. That's what this is. 
it's an, also an anti-Trump move on Mike Pence's part, frankly, and I think it's a, a misplaced uh, effort here in Georgia. Uh, he doesn't know Georgia. I know Georgia. I'm very proud to have Donald Trump's endorsement. So, Patricia, certainly Donald Trump's endorsement is a factor in that answer and his message, but it's not, you know, it, it's it's still central, but it's not the only thing that David Perdue is trying to emphasize in the closing days of the race. And me and you both know that you and I both know, I should say, that we, we both <laughs> have gotten uh, bombarded with, you know, with with data from, from Purdue supporters who say that the early voting numbers s- still signal that a lot of new Republican voters are, are voting um, in, in, you know, this three-week period. And it might help David Perdue, but it also doesn't necessarily mean that David Perdue, um, that he'll benefit from this trend. And, and every single poll, including a Fox News poll that came out just the other day, um, showed the same dynamic, which is Kemp, not just above 50%, but, you know, nearing 60% in some of these polls. Yeah, he's pulling away. Those uh, polls are um, not always exactly predictive, but they are really good at showing trends. And so the trend that we've seen consistently over the last four months for Brian Kemp is that he started out below 50 and has continued to expand his lead over David Perdue. He was went from kind of 48 to 52, 54, and now up at 60% in this Fox News poll. That's the trend that they were looking for. That's the trend they really need. And it's the opposite of the trend that David Perdue um, needed, frankly, because he started out behind and it feels like he has just slipped further and further behind. He started off with a bang. The election is rigged and stolen. Um, but then the voters wanted something more. Republican voters needed a reason to abandon Brian Kemp at a time when the state is really doing quite well financially. Kemp has delivered on gun control, excuse me, (laughs) on eliminating gun control. He has eliminated gun restrictions. There are basically no restrictions to carry a gun in Georgia anymore. Uh, He signed um, an anti-abortion bill, um, more restrictions on abortion. He has passed this big tax cut. He keeps delivering, you know, just one after another, after another deliverable. And Purdue had to give voters a reason to ignore all of that and pick somebody else instead. And so um, he's just not been able to make that case. Today, he said, this is about more than the election. You know, this is about the future of Georgia. This is about who can beat Stacey Abrams. This is about kind of X, Y, and Z. Um, but that the, those messages, I feel like, are, are just too little, too late. Um, but there is this huge surge in Republican voting. We don't know if they're all Republican voters. In fact, we know they're not all Republican voters because we've talked to some of them. Um, we don't know exactly who's voting. We will find out uh, very soon. You know, Tuesday is going to be here and Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, we're going to know what happened. And the data suggests that nearly 10% of those early Republican voters actually polled the Democratic ballot um, as, as recently as 2020. So there is some crossover, um, but there's also a lot of, uh, you know, energy on the Republican side. And, be, and it's partly because um, they've got good matchups, right? Democrats don't have this marquee matchups that the Republicans have. Democrats, uh, Stacey Abrams is running unopposed. Um, Rafi Warnock has a little known opponent, but you know, no serious threat. Um, there's a jumble of candidates down ticket. Of course, there's the Lucy McBath, Carolyn Bordeaux congressional race, but um, it's the Republican side that has a lot of the action and energy. And, and as we've been saying for the last, I don't know, three months, Governor Kemp is not letting up at all. I mean, he, he's keeping his foot the, a proverbial foot on, on, on David Perdue's throat right now. Um, not only do we have Mike Pence coming to town, 
to, to stump for, for Kemp in just a few days. But on Friday, we expect a major economic development announcement from Hyundai um, down where I am near the coast um, in this mega site the state bought um, just last year in the town near the town of Ellabel. It's one of the biggest state-owned properties. We're one of the biggest undeveloped properties, period, um, this close to rail lines, interstate lines, and the busy Savannah port. Um, and this will get the governor and already has gotten him another round of, of media coverage, um, an ability to kind of tout his economic development agenda. And then, of course, you know, not so long from now, in Monday, the, the eve of the primary, Mike Pence will come to town. Um, it's the biggest break we've seen yet from the former vice president um, splitting with um, his his running mate, his political boss, Donald Trump. And Patricia, you know, it, it gives Trump supporters, um, you know, who may not be in love with Mike Pence, but it still gives Governor Kemp just yet another feather in his cap going into this, this final stage. Oh, yeah. And it really has felt, you know, ever since uh, Brian Kemp went down to Bonaire and held his builds, held a bill signing down there at David Perdue's favorite restaurant uh, with David Perdue's cousin, it has just kind of felt like he's been running up the score on David Perdue and just dunking on him and just doing event after event after event. And they're on social media. They're tweeting out the pictures. They're bringing in the governors. Here comes Mike Pence. Um, It is just this full frontal assault from the Kemp campaign. And the Purdue campaign has just not been able to answer. And they're not getting help from Donald Trump. Donald Trump, you can feel him just kind of edging away from this. It's kind of starting to look like a mess and he doesn't want to get blamed for it. Um, So he's not helped them the way I'm sure he promised he would. Um, He started off helping them, but he's not staying in this fight with David Purdue. He's not coming back with another rally. He's not signing huge checks. Uh, he's hosted fundraisers, but guess what? Those fundraisers, you have to pay for the catering <laughs> and the rental at Mar-a-Lago. So those things aren't free either. Um, so uh, he, Purdue has just not gotten the help and you just don't, you don't feel the cavalry coming for him. Um, again, I, I do not, I just, I can't, I don't like predicting Georgia results because Georgia results will always sneak up on you. Um, but I can tell you just from out on the ground, the, difference between the energy and um, the uh, the crowds and um, all of the other uh, data points that we see uh, between the difference between the Kemp campaign and the Purdue campaign is really stark at this point. I mean, the biggest the, the biggest evidence of any cavalry coming for David Purdue is Sarah Palin, who is John McCain's running mate. Um, uh, now she's running for U.S. House seat up in Alaska. Um, but this is really interesting to me because um, Shortly after Purdue's campaign announced she was coming to Savannah, it was meant as sort of counter-programming. Um, this big announcement in Savannah, this big endorsement of Sarah Palin, two o'clock in Savannah. Uh, the governor's event is at three o'clock, um, about 30 minutes away. Oh. What did the governor's campaign do? <laughs> they sent out an updated media advisory saying that reporters have to be on site in Ellabel at 2 p.m. Come on. So Come on. making it impossible for any anyone <laughs> to, to cover both. both of those events. So, of course, it's a shrewd move, right? And another example, to me at least, that the, the governor and his campaign and his office are using every lever at his disposal to try to wipe the floor, floor clean and try to rout um, David Perdue right now. Um, but, you know, Patricia, one thing he's still got to worry about, even if he even if he wins in a runaway victory – is Donald Trump. And I asked the governor, what do you expect from the former president come Wednesday if you do win this primary? Well, I mean, I can't control what other people are doing in the race. I appreciate what 
President Trump did for our state. You know, I appreciate what Mike Pence did for our state. Uh, I've never said a bad word about their administration. I don't plan on doing that. So, Patricia, the former president, you know, it's not like he's going to wake up on Wednesday and say, oh, I like this Brian Kemp guy. He's a really swell dude. No, he's going to continue to um, to to rail against them. But the question is, will he do it? You know, from afar, will they do it on right-wing radio stations, or will he come to Georgia and do it? Will he do it in a more meaningful way, or will it matter? You know, the Fox News poll indicated that that a significant, uh, basically, a plurality of of, of Georgia Republicans um, say that his endorsement in a race like this doesn't matter. You know, and of those, Kim had a huge lead, so not surprising, and that that sort of echoes um, our poll. So. Um, you know, does it matter? We're about to find out. But, uh, you know, this this could be a, um, a real sort of uh, uh, opening in Donald Trump's armor right now when it comes to, you know, his 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 success with endorsements. Well, if David Perdue loses, um, it'll be one of the biggest defeats of a Trump back candidate this election cycle, if not the biggest. Greg, I think one thing that's really important about the way that Brian Kemp has gone about this and not criticizing Donald Trump is that he's also not criticizing Donald Trump's supporters. And we've seen Democrats really fall into this trap of calling Trump supporters deplorables. And um, when they insult Donald Trump, Donald Trump says, you're insulting, you're insulting all of the people who support me. And he tells those supporters, listen to what Hillary Clinton says about me. She's saying that about you. When they steal this election from me, they're stealing it from you. And so by not criticizing Donald Trump, I'm sure Brian Kemp has plenty to say in private about Donald Trump. But publicly, he's not doing that because he knows that those Trump supporters in Georgia are still important to him and they're important to the Republican Party. Um, They're important to him getting reelected. And it's creating this path. You know, if he can pull this off, he's creating a path and really a playbook for other Republicans to be conservative, to not always be on the same page with Donald Trump. In fact, to be in a huge raging uh, dogfight with Donald Trump and still get elected and still be supported in this Republican Party, even by Trump voters. And that is a that is sort of a um, a puzzle. Very few. I'm going to say almost no Republicans have been able to solve. So if Brian Kemp can do that, that's going to be to me kind of a watershed moment in this um, in this race, but also in this Republican Party. That's a great point, but I'll, the only thing I'll add is that it's a path, but it's a, one that's hard for many to replicate because Governor Kemp can run off of a record, and not everyone has has, has either a the record or b the ability, you know, to do what governor what a governor in, in a state like Georgia can do, where, where governors have sweeping executive powers. So, um, but it's certainly it certainly opened that door, and it could be the new Brian Kemp blueprint. So we'll see. We, we've we've trademarked that governor, so you can't you can't write that book. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. 
Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the three political insiders at the AJC. We are also in charge of the Morning Jolt newsletter. We think the jolt sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. You get it in the inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community right now, this very moment, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And get this, your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. And you know, Patricia, we're going to have a great jolt um, for readers to enjoy that focuses on some of the last-ditch messages from the long-shot candidates because we spent some time with not only David Perdue but also Gary Black, Kelvin King, Latham Sadler, all the sort of candidates running in these top tier races who are all in dire straits in the polls, just to hear a little bit of more of what they are saying to voters um, who are, you know, also, you know, you can't help but see the polls. You can't help but hear uh, the narrative. So we're going to be taking a closer look at their their closing messages as well. I'm so glad we're doing that. And the reason we're doing that is because these candidates, Kelvin King, Latham Sadler, Gary Black in particular, they have been all over this state. I want to say Kelvin King has been to every county twice. Yes. He's definitely oh. been to every county once. Yeah. Um, they're doing it uh, largely away from TV cameras. They're in these little tiny towns. You know, they're doing the work to get elected. Uh, they have the great misfortune of running against a gigantic celebrity in Herschel Walker. And um, it's been a really uneven playing field ever since Herschel Walker got into this race. So, um, but we do want to make sure people know these messages, know what these candidates are saying, because while a lot of people have voted, a lot of people have yet to vote. Well, let's dig deeper into that because Gary Black, he's been elected three times to a statewide position, agriculture commissioner. Um, He has garnered millions of votes over his political career. Um, and yet, in the fo- latest Fox News poll, which was done by a respected pollster, um, he's only at eight percent. Herschel Walker is at sixty-six percent. There's only a few, um, a small number of undecided voters, and the others um, combined for about twelve percent of the vote. So um, th- this a explains why um, Herschel Walker is so confident going in uh, to to Tuesday's uh, primary, even to the point where he's invited Gary Black and the others to a unity celebration at his campaign um, party. Suffice to say, though, Gary Black will not be joining. I asked him if he could see himself supporting Herschel Walker if he wins the nomination. Here's what he said. No, no. Anybody's put their hands on uh, women like he has and been unaccountable has not taken responsibility for his actions. He says he wrote a book, but then he won't come clean on the rest of it. He hasn't earned my vote. So flat out, if he's the nominee, you're not back. Hadn't earned my vote. He hasn't earned my vote. Um, you, you heard Garrett Black say that twice now. And, and Patricia, this is not a normal stance. I mean, even David Perdue, as much as he's railed against Brian Kemp, called him a traitor, called him all sorts of bad names, even David Perdue has made it very clear from the get-go that he will back whoever the Republican nominee is. So this tells you the depth of the um, the backlash, the opposition to Herschel Walker, that he still could face in a general election um, as as voters, as more money is spent 
uh, pushing um, you know messages about Herschel Walker's history of violent and erratic behavior, his ex- exaggerations about his business background, his academic record, and just his stances and bizarre statements um, in in media interviews and elsewhere. Um, you know that we're that are now getting a fuller vetting, and we'll only get a, a an even fuller vetter, vetting as we move forward. But you know, Patricia, the, the Republicans running against them just didn't weren't able to raise a significant money um, to push that message. To, to try to bring down his poll numbers. Yeah, the biggest thing that uh, Gary Black, Latham Sadler, and Calvin King are suffering from is a very low uh, name ID, especially compared to Herschel Walker, who is universally known and among conservatives in Georgia, in rural Georgia, almost universally adored, apparently. Um, so Georgia voters just don't even know who these guys are, despite the fact that they've been out there grinding it out on the campaign trail day after day. They have not, uh, they're not, none of those three are the type to really go in and um, drop bombs. They are not out there um, holding press conferences uh, loaded up with, um, you know, really incendiary statements. They These are just not, the, those are not the types of candidates that these are, and they're just not getting the corresponding press. You know, you have somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, practically came out of nowhere in 2020 in large part because all of the stuff she was saying. And a lot of it was just, just sounded crazy. A lot of it was crazy. A lot of it was offensive, but that, um, you know, it, it played the sort of the, the double-edged, uh, you know, had a benefit and a curse. The curse was that it sounded crazy. The benefit was that it raised her profile enormously. And when you get exposed to just about everybody in the state, you're going to find people in the state who support you. And um, so even though Gary Black has been elected statewide, three times, this tells you that being an agriculture commissioner doesn't make you a household name. Maybe people just see that you are an incumbent and like, sure, that sounds fine. Um, so that has not given him the boost. That I think his backers really thought that he would have like, oh, he's been elected statewide three times. People know him. Um, people really on the inside of the function of government know him. People inside agriculture know him and like him very much. I actually talked to a Democratic voter yesterday who's voting for Gary Black because he said that Gary Black did a great job with the barbecue festival that he uh, that he mm-hmm. puts on once a year. Um, so they they think he's great, um, but they just none of the none of these three other candidates have the just the sheer star power and celebrity to even begin to compete with Herschel Walker, and that's a lot of what this has become. And Raphael Warnock will soon encounter that uh, phenomenon, I guess you could call it that dynamic, uh, very shortly. And so, and look, um, for, for Raphael Warnock, the Senator, for, for Stacey Abrams running for governor, um, they're about to get, you know, they've already got plenty of attention from, from the Republican adversaries, but they're about to get even more if the primary goes the way we think it will with Kemp and Walker victories, because that means that the GOP will now be able to shift its undivided attention away from internal feuding and towards both Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock. And we talked to Stacey Abrams about her thoughts on how things might have changed over the last three years. When people win, they start to believe that that winning is not a fluke. It is, and it's inevitable. And what I'm seeing on the ground as I go around the state is more and more people who believe we can win, believe that Democrats are on the ascendancy. And that kind of confidence is then reflected in how many people run for office how many people are willing to put yard signs in their yards in places that you don't expect to see them. And I think all of those are very strong signs for Democrats. I also asked her 
how Democrats plan to counter the relentless message from Republicans, but also just from, you know, Georgians who are concerned about how Washington and Atlanta is dealing with higher fuel prices and higher inflation. People want to know what what's going wrong, but they also want to know what you're going to do about it. My intention is to expand Medicaid, reduce health care costs in the state of Georgia, create 64,000 new jobs. My goal is to make certain those jobs are spread all across the state, not just concentrated in places that Brian Kemp likes. And my intention is to make certain that we are being responsive to the needs of Georgians, that we are making sure that their children are being fully educated, that their wages actually match their living expenses, that we have affordable housing in the state, which is something that we've heard the governor say almost nothing about. And so we've got to solve the real problems that people are facing. And so far, we've heard nothing from the governor about solving the problems of Georgians. But that's all I'm talking about. and It's all I'm going to keep talking about. So, Patricia, that's a pretty broad answer to a question about how she's going to deal with inflation, um, but sort of emblematic of, of how Democrats in general, and, and, and her in particular, are, are handling, um, you know, Kemp's conservative record. Um, you know, of course, he did some broader-based things that um, the Democrats and, and moderate voters, um, you know, will, will, will appreciate, um, signing hate crime measures in the law, raising salaries of teachers, things like that. But overall, you know, the, the primary force Kemp to emphasize um, conservative issues probably more than he wanted to or more than he, he, than he, he had initially thought he would. I don't know if he'd, he'd ever say that, but we could say that. Um, and right now, Democrats have, uh, have the strategy of sort of this all-out attack on all these measures particularly the measures that Governor Kemp just signed, but also the anti-abortion law that, that he signed in the law in 2019 and, and other aspects of his agenda that they think will come back to haunt him. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to the general election, um, defending the uh, six-week abortion ban is going to be a very tricky conversation for Republicans. Um, I'm going to say the same thing for uh, permitless carry, lifting the need, the requirement to have a permit to carry gun. Um, Counterbalancing that, though, are a number of things that Kemp has been able to do this past session, including tax cuts. And Democrats... um, you know, want to see funding for programs. They want to see those teacher pay raises, but there aren't many Democrats that are going to turn down a tax cut um, at a time when prices are going up. And so Kemp is able to say, prices are going up. I put more money back in your pocket and I didn't have to cut state services to do it. So he's coming off of this um, really unusual budget cycle where there was a ton of federal money flooding into the state, um, a ton of tax revenue because we happen to have had an economy that really kept uh, kept going during COVID, and Kemp takes credit for that and says, "I opened the state back up sooner." Um, now, Democrats, of course, will say, "Well, the losses from COVID are not worth any amount of money." Um, we hear that a lot from Democrats, uh, but I think Kemp tactically has more to say in response to rising prices, um, the tax cut, the gas tax holiday, which it looks like he's going to maybe extend maybe through the November election. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he'll do that, but he is going to extend it a little bit. He's talking about that. Um, but Republicans have, I think, more of an answer. To hear Stacey Abrams say, we want to make sure that people's wages um, keep up. Um, is that a, is that increasing the minimum wage? Is that, what? what is that? I don't know what that looks like. That's really important to know what that looks like. Um, affordable housing, what does that look like? Is that changing zoning laws? Is that funding um, funding construction. I, I, you know, these, that, that's when these kinds of details need to be layered into a democratic message. There's time for that, but I think voters are going to want to hear more than just that. 
Well, there is time for that, but the clock is ticking and November is nearing. But before we get to that, we have our favorite segment of the show, which is our listener mailbag. And Patricia, we've got a great question. It kind of plays on, it's from a loyal listener who listens to every single episode of this podcast. And so it plays on something we talked about last week. It's name is David Benswinger of Unadilla. And oh, by the way, I met Unadilla's mayor on a campaign trail, Myron Mixon. He's a famous barbecue pit master. We should have him on the show one day. But he says, Ben Swinger says, I listened to the last episode and I want to hear more. How do you guys prepare for election night? Patricia? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Well, for election night, I like to have um, a little bit of an Excel spreadsheet (laughs) to know who's running where, where have they been in the polls. I just like to have a lot of data sets at my fingertips. Um, I, you know, there's no way to get rest ahead of time, but that would be nice. Um, But I like to have as much information pre-built as possible. I like to have kind of like chunks of uh, chunks of writing already done to give a little bit of background about how we got here. Um, and then I like I really do give some thought about what happens under this scenario, what happens under that scenario. And I think about what themes I'm looking for and which races do I think are really going to send a larger message other than just who won. Um, to me, the Secretary of State's race on the Republican side is hugely important in the state. Obviously, the governor's race is hugely important. Um, and to me, the 10th district congressional race, the GOP primary over there, um, that's crucially important to know um, if a Trump-endorsed uh, candidate like Vernon Jones can pull off winning in a district he's never lived in and never talked about living in. Um, and then the 6th Uh, I'm sorry, the 7th District, Democrats. I think that's going to be important to know. Uh, That'll tell us a little bit more about Democrats and um, a primary like that, pitting a more progressive Lucy McBath against a more um, moderate uh, Carolyn Bordeaux. I think that's a really important test of where this party is in the state right now. So that's I just do a lot of thinking ahead of time. Well, David, I am not a number cruncher, um, so I rely on lots of sources and people who are a lot smarter than me when it comes to math. I press refresh a lot on the on the, on the number totals as they're coming in. Um, but my, my biggest thing to prepare is, well, a couple of things. First of all, is I read a lot of prep. So as I mentioned in the last show, we've already finished the uh, uh, the, the, the stories and the, of the different possibilities of some of Georgia's top races. We're ready to go and push the button. On them as soon as the races are called by one of the national outlets, because fortunately and frankly, we do not call those races. We we rely on New York Times or uh, NBC or just one of the big national outlets to call the race uh, for us, because um, that is just not something that our editors want us to do. Even though sometimes I feel like I want to call these races myself because I know that X Y Z race is over. Uh, but the second thing is, uh, as I mentioned, battery for my phone. It's just you know we're we're going to be out at the campaign parties. Um, it, sometimes it's loud, it's distracting. There's a lot of people talking. A lot of people want to come up and talk to us, which is great, but we're also on deadline. Um, and so I, but we rely on a lot of, you know, texts and tips from people who are watching these races, you know, who are sending the stuff up to us either off record or on background saying, Hey, you should take a look at this. Or sometimes it's the candidates themselves who are just saying, Hey, I'm screwed. Um, yeah, and, and you need all you- of your cell phone numbers ready to roll. Yep. You got to have your cell phone numbers ready to roll. And then one thing I always do is look up the closest Starbucks to wherever I'm going to be headed to for an evening party and how later they open. And that, to me, is an important piece of information as well. 
because we can't exactly get the booze from the bars at many of these parties. <laughs> and they also charge like $16 for a beer. Um, uh, and look, and you know, as I was, sometimes even the candidates have reached out to us and they're like, hey, do you have so-and-so's phone number? Because I'm going to call the concede. Um, because look, I mean, a lot of times it's the, it's, it's the reporters who are sort of the brokers in this sense, because who, who are some of the only people who talk to both sides? It's us in the media. Okay. Who is up and who is down? Patricia, who's up this week for you? I feel very repetitive at this point, but I think Governor Brian Kemp is up getting the word that the vice president, the former vice president is coming to stump for him, running around the state with a bunch of GOP governors. Um, he's on his press tour. He's tweeting out pictures. It looks like he's having the time of his life. Um, this is not how we thought the end of this race was going to go. And um, we don't know how it's going to go, but the mood on the ground is very clear that the Kemp campaign feels extremely emboldened and and strong and um it's really even better where than where i think they thought they'd be at this point my who's up has to go to you georgia voters because you're turning out in droves excited enthusiastic um it's sort of been the antidote to all the talk about uh, you know all the falsehoods about a widespread election fraud and and people who in 2020 and 2021 um you know didn't want to go to the polls because they believe those lies well we're seeing the reverse of that in a very meaningful way with um, turnout now around triple of what we've seen in, in previous elections when it comes to early in-person voting. Um, and more of the enthusiasm on the Republican side rather than the Democratic side. But I, I'd, I'd wager, and there's no way to prove this, but I'd wager if there was competitive Democratic races, like an open U.S. Senate seat instead of an incumbent, you'd see the same thing on the Democratic side. Um, but you know that just speaks to how politically motivated folks are and how di divided the state is now because we are we remain the closest most closely divided political state in the nation patricia who is your who is your down this week so my down this week is um, uh, related to a, an article that came out in the Savannah Morning News um, about the Stacey Abrams campaign. Uh, there was a campaign event in Savannah that the uh, Morning News estimated to be about 75. And they talked to voters there who said they kind of felt like it was sort of low energy. The voters did. They were like, oh, I kind of thought more people would be here. I thought more people would know about it. I only heard about it in a text. And that was the thrust of the article. Um, and uh, instead of kind of leaving well enough alone, the Abrams campaign called uh, the Savannah Marine News to quibble about the crowd size. Uh, they also called uh, me to talk about the crowd size that I had written in the jolt because the, you know, I quoted the morning newspaper, but which is by a really solid reporter about that crowd size. I said, okay. Former AJC reporter, Raisa. Yes, a former AJC reporter, exactly. Raisa Habersham. So, so solid. You know, I don't quote people who She's I don't amazing. know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, it was just an unusual moment. Um, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I said, this is what they said it was, you know, by their account, they showed me a picture. Um, they literally counted the heads. And uh, but the Savannah Morning News has come out with a, an editorial comparing the uh, Abrams campaign to Donald Trump's campaign and his obsession with crowd size. And, you you, you know, it's very important, I think, uh, for the Abrams campaign to stay high level, uh, to stay uh, positive, to focus on um, the big things, not the little things, because uh, there's going to be a lot of big things. Um, and to get a headline that like, headline and a tour like that in the morning news is just sort of an unforced error. Uh, my who's down, and I might be beating a dead horse too, but look, if, 
if the pollsters are wrong about this election, they'll be the who's down easy. But since this is the last uh, who's down before the primary, it's got to be David Perdue, who is, as we've mentioned in the jolt and in our blogs and our news coverage and on this podcast, he's scaled back his campaign. He's not doing as many appearances. He's not on TV at all. His outside support is all but dried up. Um, the only, you know, big name he's got rallying to his campaign is Sarah Palin, who's now seen as more of a fringe Republican candidate. Um, it seems like his campaign is sort of hanging on a thread. And in every poll numbers, he's he's not even in the 40s. He's in the 30s or 20s. Um, so he is my who's down. Apologies for repeating him, um, you know, more than more than a once or twice as the who's down. But that's the way these campaigns go. And, and you know, back in uh, back in December, we were saying he's up. <laughs> and Brian Kemp was down because Brian <laughs> yes. Kemp was getting booed at events and all this stuff. So things are peaking for Brian Kemp at just the right moment. And they're not peaking for David Perdue at just the wrong moment for him. Well, you can count on Patricia and I hitting the right moments on this podcast every Wednesday and Friday or whenever news breaks. What a segue. Producer Jay is giving me a bonus that for that mean? one. Whoa. What does that <laughs> <Whoa>. mean? <laughs> so, should I do that one over? <laughs> no, it's perfect. <laughs> okay. So, we'll see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,